Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is an audiobook narrator and a mentor to new narrators. Anne Richardson, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Rich. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so glad you could make it. If I remember correctly, and uh, I'm not sure that I do, but if I remember correctly, we met at WoVoCon 3. Does that sound right to you? Oh my gosh, that's right. Oh my gosh, that was so long ago. <laughs> it was in Las Vegas, yes. <laughs> it was, yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago because back then I was more, well, voiceover, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I've I've really gone on the audiobook track kind of full steam ahead. Um, and so I have not been to another WoVoCon. Have you been back? I went to two WoVoCons, um, and I, which I, I probably have not included in my bios, but I'm still a, a loyal member, um, but I just am not able to participate the way I would like to. I'd love to give back, but you know, my bandwidth is kind of limited. Yeah. But no, I have not gone back. I, I just did those two. Yeah, I haven't been back to one either. I think it's a good organization. I fully, um, I, I recommend it to people if they're looking for a professional organization for uh, voiceover, but I have not been back to one of the conventions. Um, so anyway, that that was quite a while ago. It seems to me that Wolvacon 3 was either 2016, must have been 2016, because 2017, I started going to APAC. So mm-hmm. I think it was the year before that. So um, anyway, so it's been quite a while and uh, we're both doing quite different things than we were at the time, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think we've each uh, focused on narrowing our focus and Mm -hmm. uh, making giant strides and becoming more prolific and professional and hired and all that jazz. So yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well, Anne, I'm so glad you could make it in tonight. Uh, This being a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? Well, uh, you and I talked a lot about whiskey during lunch at APAC a couple of years back. and We did. You turned me on to uh, Widow Jane back then. Widow I Jane. Yeah, yes. I think that you said that your husband had recently found that and really liked it. So I got a bottle as soon as I could after that conversation. Excellent. I, I do. And I joined my husband. I really enjoy that whiskey. But tonight I deviated because um, I just finished recording a book for Penguin Random House and the director, actually, I'll back up. The book was, it was a great book. And in the book, they kept mentioning this liqueur called Amarula. Mm-hmm. And my director, who was zooming into the session to direct me, said, oh, wow, you know, I, I'm familiar with this, this liqueur. And as after the book concluded, about a week after we were done, I get this UPS delivery of a bottle of Amarula. She sent me a bottle to celebrate the book. That's fantastic. And isn't that cool? So I have to tell you, this is a cool liqueur. I have to tell you what it what it is. It okay. says on the label, across the sub-equatorial plains of Africa, Marula trees grow wild and free. Only once a year do they bear fruit. Africa's elephants walk for miles to feast on the sun-ripened marulas. Oh, wow. Um, so the, I guess the people pick the marulas by hand. 
They ferment and distill and mature the marula spirit in French oak for about two years before blending it with cream. So I am drinking Amarula in a Yeti with ice cubes because it's so freaking hot here right now. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I am not familiar with Amarula. I I am really interested now. So uh, have you tasted it yet? I have. It's kind of like a, I guess I would compare it to Bailey's with kind of a fruity overtone. Nice. Yeah, it is nice. I really like it. That sounds cool. I, uh, yeah, I have not heard of that one. I, I feel sorry for the elephants not getting their fruit, but I'm glad that you were able to get a bottle of liqueur out of it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm just glad the elephants don't get the fermented fruit. You know, I don't <laughs> elephants would be a scary thing. That would be, yeah. No, that, that's cool. I'll definitely look for that uh, the next time. Well, I don't really get to, uh, I, I don't really go in the store anymore when I go to Total Wine. I just place the order online and pick it up. Um, but uh, thank you. Yeah, but I'll, I'll definitely uh, definitely check that out. Very cool. I'm I'm glad to I'm always glad to hear of new things here in the Speakeasy. Uh, I'm also having a, a cocktail that's new to me, and uh, so I it has not been in the Speakeasy before. Uh, it's called the Toronto Cocktail. I was listening to uh, the podcast a podcast that I found a few months ago, uh, maybe six months ago, called Modern Bar Cart. And uh, the host is great. He talks to all kinds of people in the spirits world, uh, bartenders and bar managers. Uh, I think people at distilleries, uh, people who have some sort of influence, uh, you know, of, of any kind having to do with with cocktails. And at the beginning of every episode, he picks a cocktail to give the recipe for so that you can have a cocktail while you're listening to the podcast. And I thought, this is just right up my alley. And uh, he was talking to somebody from Canada this past week. And so uh, they actually they actually talked for a little while in the podcast episode about the Toronto cocktail and how this particular guest that he was speaking with had some kind of an impact on kind of a resurgence, even though it's a very old cocktail. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll try that. It's, uh, it's Canadian whiskey, but he even said, if you don't have any Canadian whiskey, a good rye will be a, a good substitute. And since I don't have any Canadian right now, I just used some, some bullet rye. Uh, Fernet Branca and, uh, and simple syrup and then a, a few dashes of, of aromatic bitters. And I, and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I'm really not sure what to think of that. Fernet Branca is kind of a strong flavor, but it's only a small amount of it. And so it's kind of a cross between a, an old-fashioned and, um, and, a, and a Manhattan. Uh, so I tried it and I thought, this is great. This will be a good drink for the speakeasy. (laughs) So I've never had, um, oh, I have had an old fashioned, but I really like Manhattans. So it sounds like something I would enjoy. Yeah, definitely give it, give it a try sometime. I can send you the recipe, uh, or you can actually look it up online. It's, it's a little unusual. Every recipe that I found online was the same. Most cocktails, they vary by a half an ounce here, a quarter ounce there, an ounce here. So um, this one, it was always the same recipe. And so easy to find online, Toronto cocktail. Uh, and if you do like Manhattans, it'll be interesting to to give this one a try. The Fernet Branca is definitely a different flavor, but uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. I like it. Cool. Well, thank you for that. I actually took notes. Um, the bar cart podcast modern yeah, bar mo- cart. modern bar cart it's great i love this guy he's um he, he's just very uh, he, he's very enthusiastic about uh cocktails and cocktail culture and uh and making sure that you get the right flavor combination and learning how to do things right uh and, and in fact this last episode I, I don't remember the number but it, it just came out um 
it was really interesting. He said something that I thought was, was, or his guest said something about his own career that I thought was so apropos to new narrators starting out as well. He said, you know, I, I talked to these guys who, who, you know, are coming up and they want this and, and they go, wow, how did you do this so fast? And I tell them, you know, um, I've, I've gotten to where I am after, I think about 15 years now and, <laughs> and, you know, hundred hour weeks sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's how I've gotten to the point where I'm hobnobbing with these, you know, master chefs and these people that are in the industry who, who have, who have changed things and, and, uh, had a huge impact. Um, so you got to put your time in. And I thought, holy cow, that's so appropriate for narrators as well. <laughs> so true. But you know, what's weird, Rich, is that I've been doing this for 12 years now. And I literally, it, it took me 10 years to make any traction, to get any traction at all. And when I tell my, my students to expect a long, um, you know, lead in to this career, I actually think it's shorter for them than it is for us because the industry is booming so hard right now. Very true. 10 years ago, audiobooks did not have the traction they do now. No. So I think their lead in time might be more like, I don't know, five or eight years. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Or less because well, there's some crazy talented people out there. There are. Yeah. And I do know narrators who have, who have, you know, gotten very far in a much shorter period of time than I have. They, but they have put in a lot of work to get there. Yes. Um, so I, I just thought that statement by this guy on that other podcast was, was so appropriate for this one. So anyway, and thank you so much for coming in. I'm, I'm glad to have learned about a new liqueur and now you can try a, uh, a new whiskey cocktail. Cheers. Thank you. Wait, get my Yeti out. There. <laughs> So, so you have to explain that before we go on. I thought the Yeti was a microphone. <laughs> That's funny because uh, somebody, I think it was Paul Stefano was talking about using a Yeti in the booth and Yeti is actually a huge name in coolers and insulated tumblers and coffee cups. It's no huge. Kidding. They are exorbitantly expensive, but they're actually really good. And so it's aluminum and I have a nice toothpaste colored mint green, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I tell you what, I bring this in the booth with me throughout the winter because my tea does not get cold. Oh my it's gosh. That well insulated. And now that I've got my, my uh, Amarula drunken elephant drink in it with an ice cube, <laughs> this ice cube will stay here until midnight. I swear. Well, that's great. I gotta, I gotta look those up. Uh, not so much for me. Cause I almost always just drink room temperature water in the booth, but, um, my wife who, when she's working, which hasn't been for a few months now, uh, she goes to clients' houses and uh, she always takes an insulated bottle of water with her because sometimes she's a professional organizer and sometimes, you know, they're working out in the garage or wherever it is. It's, it's a lot of physical stuff. And so she's always drinking water during the day and um, she's got a, a pretty good one, but that sounds like it might be even better. So I'll look one up. Yeah, please do. It's spelled just like the, the microphone. Um, okay. Yeah, cool. I -E -I. So yeah, they're extremely good. I mean, we've had, we, we like to go fishing. And so we bring a Yeti cooler and we have a bag of ice. And if you catch a fish and toss it on the ice for the drive home, cause we live about 45 minutes from the reservoir, um, we come home, we clean the fish and whatever, and we leave the, 
it will leave the, the cooler out and it will take days for that <laughs> ice to melt. Wow, that's amazing. It's that good. I mean, it's really, like I said, they're very expensive, but they're worth it. That's great. So you said that it was hot where you are now. Where is that? Holy crap. Yes, it is hot. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to curse. Um, I'm in Northern California, the, the um, San Francisco Bay Area. I live in the East Bay, uh, really right in wine country. Now, everybody's going to say, oh, Napa. I really want to go to Napa. No, this is not Napa. This is Livermore. And Livermore is wine country that's actually older than Napa. When Prohibition was going on, Livermore supplied wines to certain wineries in Napa and to places that made communion wines. So they were able to stay open through that kind of loophole. Wow. Uh, but the good thing about Livermore is it is a fraction of the traffic of Napa and the wines are great. So you can visit these very picturesque tasting rooms and vineyards and you don't have to wait an hour to cross the road and you don't have to stand 12 people back from the tasting counter. It's fantastic. That's great. I, I have been to some wineries out there. Um, I believe that Wenty is out there. Yes, it is. Isn't uh, Concanon out there too? Yes, it is. Yeah. So I, I remember there was one year when my sister, since I used to live in the East Bay in uh, San Leandro, my sister uh, gave us, uh, and then down in San Jose, and my sister gave us a uh, a, a tour and tasting package at Concanon. It was it was a lot of fun. That's It's a great winery. Um, so East Bay of California, is that where you're from? No, I'm originally from Nebraska. I was... Uh, born and raised uh, in a little town outside of Omaha called Gretna. And uh, it's still little, but year after year, this town has won the um, fastest growing town in the state award. Oh, no kidding. So it's kind of a sleeper community to Omaha. And uh, it was really my childhood for all intents and purposes was very idyllic. I grew up on a farm I had the stereotypical farm experience. I had an Indian pony and I rode her all day long. And, you know, I'd leave the house in the morning and come back at, at night. I had chores. We raised cattle, rabbits, chicken. I was in 4-H. I showed sheep and rabbits and my horse. I got a different horse. Wow. Um, now, now living in the Bay Area of California, quite a change. Was there anything in between or was it just like from one to the other? Oh my goodness. It was, it actually was quite a culture shock, Rich. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln studying broadcast journalism. Um, I was going to knock Diane Sawyer off her pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Good to have high goals. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of the way I am. I, I set these lofty goals and I kill myself trying to reach them. But <laughs> I met a boy and I dropped out of college and I got married. <laughs> We screw up so many lives. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best thing ever, actually, better than going to college. I mean, marrying my husband was fantastic. So I dropped out. We got married. We moved to Sunnyvale, California, where we lived for 19 years. And uh, then we we sold that place and we moved out here to the Tri Valley, Pleasanton, Dublin, Livermore area. And because we, we really, in addition to the startup that my husband was working for, we wanted the boys to have a better education. Mm. And believe it or not, Silicon Valley is not the best place for public schools. No, uh, I, I believe someday, that. <laughs> maybe someday they'll fix it. But Yeah, no, I, I believe that. Even though um, Jenny and I don't have kids, 
and so I don't follow the school districts like a lot of people my age did at that time. Um, I still hear things, and uh, I, it, it's not too hard for me to believe that Silicon Valley wasn't the best. Of course, that was before I moved to Arizona and found out what really bad school districts really were. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but no, I've, I've definitely, uh, definitely heard that. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, and I speak with firsthand knowledge. I worked in the, the public school system for three years. And, you know, the, the sad facts are that you've got families um, that immigrated here from other countries and they were living three generations per household. None of the parents or the grandparents spoke English and the, the kindergartners were translating for the parents and they wouldn't make it through their textbooks in a school year. So, you know, it was really, it was really sad, but actually, if I have to look for a silver lining, my kids had a great um, street education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't, I can't be disgruntled about spending 19 years in Sunnyvale. It was very educational, met some very nice people there. And um, a lot of lessons were learned there, but Pleasanton was the best place to go to get our kids a good education. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. So you've spent a lot of time in the Bay Area then. Uh, I know that you also speak, if I remember correctly, um, Swedish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you grew up in Nebraska and moved to the Bay Area, where does that come from? I know. That's, a, that's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Um, my father actually came over from Sweden in the early 60s and uh, married my mom. And he, this is kind of a funny story. I'll try and keep it short because I could spend hours on this. But um, he he traveled to Omaha. He had a sponsor who was also from Sweden. And he had studied a trade. He studied sheet metal working and heat, uh, air conditioning and heating systems. So he came over and worked in someone's shop and married my mom. And he eventually got his own shop. But he was of the generation. There was a, a segment of the generation that came over that once they were in America, they became American. And so they didn't work. And plus, he was a guy. So he didn't work really hard at bringing the Swedish customs into the house, or he never, ever taught us girls, my sister and me, to speak Swedish. But we always had Swedish visitors in the house. And my mom worked really hard at at researching and, and cooking Swedish things and doing the whole Santa Lucia thing. And, you know, so we were always exposed to it, but he never taught it never actively you know tried to incorporate that into our upbringing well but then he picked passed, it up well not no no actually not really we picked up the culture but we didn't pick up the language and he passed away in oh gosh 1995 and my sister and I decided that we had been back to Sweden once uh, when we were teenagers and we wanted to maintain the family ties So we went back uh, shortly after he passed away, you know, just to keep in touch with the relatives and being the Bay Area, I had some fantastic opportunities to study the Swedish language. Oh, wow. So I ended up taking five years of Swedish language lessons and I even took my boys to Swedish language language. Boy, that's a tongue twister, huh? (laughs) Or is it the Amarula? Um, (laughs) Swedish language lessons. Um, just to get them into the the culture and get used to hearing it. And it was really a good thing because last year, my my older son, who's 26 now, 
um, and has a good job. He's graduated college and everything. He paid for a trip for him and his younger brother to go to Sweden and spend a couple weeks there. So that really made me proud. That's fantastic. And so they can communicate with uh, the people that are there and, uh, and hopefully some family as well. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole thing that made me so proud is they made a point to see the relatives and that was, that was huge. As far as communicating, I think all they had to say was like, um, Systembolaget. <laughs> That's the government run alcohol store. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's about it. And then everybody in Sweden speaks English anyway, so it was easy for them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. Well, so you moved to the Bay Area. You've been there a long time now. How did you get into voiceover work? Mm, Yeah, like every other person, probably yourself included, it was really a convoluted um, path. When I dropped out of college, I had been studying broadcast journalism, as I mentioned. Oh, that's um, right. And I was going to say, there, I've had so many guests that start out on the journalism path and end up in audiobooks. I think that's really interesting. It is. I think, you know, it takes a very unique person to succeed in broadcast journalism because you have to, I mean, you, you can't be shy. You can't be, you can't have a weak stomach or a you know, you just can't be a tenderfoot. You have to charge into devastating situations and interview these poor people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just, you have to get up at the crack of, oh, dark 30. And, you know, and so actually in a roundabout way, that's how I came into audiobooks was because I did 10 years at a pharmaceutical company. And then I did four years doing on the road sales to car dealerships. Um, I like to say I did the impossible. I sold things to used car dealers. (laughs) (laughs) But when the economy tanked in 2008, I had the chance to revisit my career choices and my heart took me back to broadcast journalism. But I didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and cover these news stories. I, I just, it was not in my constitution. So I took a few community education classes to see if that, you know, maybe I could do some voiceover stuff. I really didn't know what it was all about. And um, such a voice came to my town. So I attended Heather Costa's class and yeah, I got really good feedback. And then I I thought maybe it's a fluke. (laughs) We have this terrible imposter syndrome, don't we, Rich? Oh yeah, don't we all? (laughs) When are they going to find out I suck? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. <laughs> I know. So I thought maybe I suck and she was just being really nice. So I took another one at a community college and the feedback there was really good too. And I thought, okay, so maybe, maybe I have an avenue through some kind of voiceover. So such a voice just launched their mentor program. So I hired Heather to mentor me and I picked her brain incessantly. We met once a month and I had a whole list of questions and I just really made her run her paces. And, you know, she didn't at that point in time, of course, things have changed, but at that point of in time, she didn't have a, a lot to say about the audio book industry because that was not what she was doing. And she was, it's not what most people were doing. (laughs) I know she was upfront about that. And she said, how about this? You know, she got me set up on my business structure and things like that. She said, why don't you volunteer for, um, it was then called recording for the blind and dyslexic. Oh yeah. 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 And now it's of course learning ally. Yeah. She said, why don't you give that a try to get comfortable behind the mic and, you know, to, to try audiobook stuff just to see what it's like. So I did. 
Were you going out to Palo Alto or was there one closer to you? No, I was driving to Palo Alto. That's so funny. We were probably there at the same time because oh, no that's, kidding? yeah, because that's about the time that I was working there as well. It's, oh my gosh. I, I think it was, um, sometime it was, it was, yeah, sometime between 2006 and 2010. I just don't remember exactly when. Wow. That would have been right. I mean, it was on Charles street. So I yeah. would have been there 2009, 2010. That's so funny. We probably crossed paths and never even knew it. <laughs> That's a riot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Funny. So, you know, Matt, Matt Ward. Uh, names I do not remember. I, I remember the building and I remember the booths. I And I remember one old guy who was kind of in charge of it all, but I don't remember anybody specifically. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. So so you started, you started in audiobooks there, which for anybody who doesn't know at the time, I don't know exactly how Learning Ally is doing it now, but that was at a time when one narrator did not work on one book. I one, know. One Tragedy. Yeah, one book was covered by whichever narrators were available. So chapters one through three is one person, chapter four is somebody else, and chapters mm -hmm. five through eight is the next person. And it really highly variable. I I think that at this point they're they're pretty much doing one narrator per book, but I'm I'm not sure about that. I, I should um, talk to um, uh, his name escapes me. Uh, Kin Michael Kinsey. Mike Kinsey. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right, Rich. Back in the day you'd come into the studios and there'd be a giant bookshelf against one wall with baskets and yep. the pro each basket had a project and you'd just go over to the wall and you'd say, Hmm, I think I want to read about uh, firefighting today, or I want to yep. read about digital photography. And you would pick up any project and read for two hours. From, from wherever the last person left off. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> very, very different. And I think that that was something that, um, they, I think they changed things because they had a lot of feedback about the fact that it was disjointed. It was difficult yes. to, uh, to follow and, uh, which, which speaks well to the narrators, but, um, in any case, that's, that's funny that, that we were both there around the same time. So you started working in audiobooks that way. Uh, and so was audiobooks then kind of the first thing that you did in voiceover? Yeah. You know, I did a few website narrations um, from, I, I signed on with voice one, two, three, and I did maybe three. <laughs> I, I auditioned like crazy. I wrote a ton of cover letters. So it was actually a good education to dip my toe in the pool. Um, but when I started really getting involved with audiobooks at Learning Ally, uh, actually two opportunities arose for me there. Um, there were two local authors who had submitted their books to be recorded for Learning Ally. And one of them was in Sacramento. She had written a uh, differently abled children's mystery. Oh, and, nice. oh, it was fabulous. I love that story. It's called meow.org. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a catnapping caper. And, and the children each had a different um, ability or um, you can't say disability because they were just differently abled. One was in a wheelchair. One was, I think, blind. And it just went on from there and it was great. So when I recorded it for Learning Ally, I reached out to the author through her website and said, would you like a version to be able to sell retail? And she said, oh my God, she was blown over. Yes, yes. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm an, a budding narrator. I would like to do this for you. So let me do it and I'll get you the final files and we'll see what we have to do from there. She made me my website in exchange. 
Wow, that's great. What a great barter story. Oh, it was awesome. And so the next author was a, actually a Stanford professor. And she she came to Learning Ally and said, I want to make a retail-ready version in addition to the Learning Ally version. So what narrators do you have? And so she picked me. And I had actually been the one to narrate her book for Learning Ally. And I've done two of her books now. But that was my first paid audiobook. That's fantastic. So so you get the barter situation. Now you have a website and then uh, you actually have a paying one as well. And, um, you know, not that anybody needs to hear this or maybe they do. Learning Ally is a great organization. It is. It's fantastic. Um, I can't even I could go on all day about the students that they help with their textbooks. Yeah. Um, and the little little children, the amount of anxiety and trepidation and and frustration that the children with print disabilities experience that goes away when they become learning ally members and they get to hear the story read to them and they can follow along in the book. It's like the world melts away. All their troubles go away. They can now eat dinner with their family because they're not stuck in their room trying to do homework because it's done. It's just Oh yeah. my goodness. It's an That's amazing a, organization. It is. I, I agree. It was back then and it, it it still is. I know they've they've changed the the branding, but but uh great stuff. So highly recommended to anybody who is just starting out or has been narrating for a while and wants to give back. Uh it's a good organization. Yes, so, absolutely. So, so so that was kind of your uh your entry into the audiobook world. But at the time you were still I know that you mentioned voice one, two, three. I I or um uh yeah, voice one, two, three. I still remember I joined both Voice One Two Three and got got one good job that kind of it was a job that kept giving one of those, and mm-hmm. I also joined uh, Voice One Two Three at the time or um, uh, Voices uh, Voices.com. Mm. I, I have sworn off of pay to plays at this point, but uh, I joined uh, Voices.com. I think I was number one thousand and something. This is when they were both <laughs> very new. So I remember those days. It was before Smartcast and before all the changes that ended up kind of kind of ruining those sites. Um, yes. But that, that's a whole other program. In oh, any yeah. case. We won't in, go there. Yeah. In, in any case, I remember those days. Uh, so you did a little bit of voiceover work that wasn't audiobooks, but it seems like from the very beginning, that was kind of a direction you were headed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like I said, it was a valuable experience. I can't discount any any path I took that was not audiobooks because everything taught me something. But I am super glad that um, Heather told me to try Learning Ally, and then I learned that audiobooks was it for me. That's great. Um, Good to learn fairly early on in the career that something is going to work for you. It took me a while. uh, Back when I first started out in the early 2000s, I went commercial, industrials, uh, had a little bit of success, not much. I didn't really understand the marketing part, which was probably 98% of why things didn't go well. <laughs> yes. Um, didn't, didn't really get that that was something that I needed to do. Uh, of course, the industry was different then, but it wasn't yeah. different enough to negate the fact that you had to market yourself. Um, and then when I picked back up, I sort of uh, fell into audiobooks fairly quickly as well, even though that wasn't my plan. It, it kind of happened that way. Um, and so then you just kept moving in that direction. Um, have, since then, have you done other voiceover work? And do you have an interest in pursuing more than just audiobooks? Or really, are you just happy with audiobooks and that's where you're going to stay? Um, gosh, that's a really good question. I've done a few 
since then, I have a, a client that lives just over in Emeryville, um, and I've done some website narrations for him. I actually did a, a video for him, which was really interesting, um, that actually went online, and it was a bit, anyway, that was fun. But it wasn't fun enough, you know what I mean? It wasn't fun enough to make me want to pursue or even continue that kind of work. Mm-hmm. But what my dream is, um, I, I have three dreams. One of them I'm doing right now. I love narration. I am just consumed with narration and I'm having such a good time. I also like That's to great. write. Oh. I, I love to write. So someday, you know, when my voice gives out, I'm an old, you know, Mrs. Haversham kind of person sitting around the spider webs. Maybe I'll write <laughs> a, another book, but I, I love to write. So, um, but my, my third dream is to be to narrate documentaries. I would love uh, to narrate documentaries on TV. Me too. I I oh. love that stuff. David Attenborough. The oh my gosh, the, yes. the people who are just <laughs> the people who are just masters at it. You listen and you're just so drawn in to whatever the subject is. I just I love that stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, Oprah or Meryl Streep or uh, you know whoever. Oh, oh, what's um? Who's the other one? Um, Alien, redhead. Oh yeah. Um, Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Oh my gosh. She is just so good. So that's my dream. And I've actually taken some classes, uh, studying documentary narration, but the truth is audiobooks right now for me is just the bee's knees. It's the end all be all. So my bandwidth is narrowly focused on audiobooks. And even though I really want to do documentaries, I'm not, I'm not killing myself over trying to incorporate that. Yeah. Um, I'm happy yeah. doing audiobooks. But my time will come if I'm meant to do something else, I guess. Yeah. No, I understand. I'm I'm pursuing other things as well, but um kind of in a spare time kind of way. Other other voiceover um genres, but sort of in a spare time kind of way because I do want to do a couple other things, but uh n- but I'm but I'm not willing to really go all in on those other things because I like this work more. True. Yeah, well put. I I just enjoy this so much more. Any extra energy, I just I want to put back into audiobooks and the industry itself, not just narrating them, but tangentially into the industry. I mean, this Friday night is the Independent Audiobook Awards. Oh, um, right. Yeah, that's oh, part of the Here Now that. Festival. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, in the APA, I joined that. I like to do that. It's, so just supporting the industry and doing things audiobook-ish and blogging about it, blogging about the industry. That's what's consuming me and I'm happy as a clam. Yeah, no, that's great. So for your, um, for the work that you do, for the narration that you do, do you record everything at home? Do you ever go to studios? Um, uh, the Bay Area has a lot of audio studios, but or uh, recording studios, but most of them are not in Livermore and Pleasanton. That's true. Although there is one, there's a, or there used to be, it might be gone now. I don't know. Um, remember, oh my gosh, John Madden. Remember John Madden? You mean football, John Madden? Yeah. Yeah. He hated to travel. He would not fly. He would drive everywhere. And his sons are also local. This has been a few years since I have caught up on any of this, but they built one of the biggest sound stages in in the Bay Area, and he would go there and record commercials and voiceovers and things. No kidding, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, it was right over there in in Pleasanton, off of I think I think it was off Johnson Drive. Wow. Um, 
but anyway, so yes, you're right, Rich. There are a lot of sound stages around here, but not, um, I have a home studio. I have a great home studio. My clever, clever husband built it for me because he saw how anguished I was recording in our walk-in closet. <laughs> I understand. Yep. <laughs> and I just about went apoplectic when I got some of my um, audio files rejected from University Press because they could hear NASCAR in the background. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> and uh, So I knew I needed a better solution. So, so, he, so he built you a booth? He did. We had nice. it up in the upstairs hallway. We had uh, a set of cabinets that had, you know, linens and candles and whatever you do in an upstairs set of cabinets. So he was renovating the boys' bathroom and he knocked down that set of cabinets and enclosed it. I have a really cozy little uh, three by five recording booth. That's you know, it's got the the sound deadening drywall with the green glue and the wow. He went cabinet. all out. That's great. Yeah, and lined with Oralex, but it doesn't keep out leaf blowers, lawnmowers, UPS trucks, or the Livermore Airport. Yeah, no, <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah, the airport. Ooh, and here in Tucson, I'm. Uh, I think I'm about twelve miles, might be 10, 10 or twelve miles from uh, Davis Mountain Air Force Base. And Gosh. just just the other day, don't get too much traffic. Don't get too many jets from from Tucson International Airport or or air traffic from the Air, air Force Base. But every once in a while. Some, they'll be doing something and they will fly up and it'll be in this, you know, the Catalina Mountains, you're right north of me and it'll be in this well. And for some reason, practically window rattling jet noise <laughs> feels like it's right above my house. And I go out and the jet's like, you know, seems like it's five miles up, but it's, it is just amazing how much noise that can make. Fortunately, it doesn't happen too often, but whenever you're near an airport, at some point, something's going to come through. Absolutely. And the tough part is, you know, I, we did everything right as far as building the booth in the interior part of the house. There's no, you're not adjoining any outside walls like mm -hmm. next to the garage or any, but the, the roof. Uh oh, right. <laughs> the yeah. roof, we didn't, we couldn't fix the roof, yeah. the insulation to, to tamp, you know, dampen the sound from the airport. So yeah. you're right, Rich, those planes. Something, something comes through. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Every so you time. do, so you do all the uh, narration at home. And I know that you said you had kids. Uh, what about noise from other people at home? Is that ever a problem? Oh boy. You know, we're in the time of quarantine. Um, <laughs> That's true. Somebody's <laughs> home. <laughs> If I if I were being honest, I would say that the quarantine has negatively affected them more than me. They are so considerate. I mean, oh, it's they, negatively affected them because you're telling them to be quiet. <laughs> yes, and yeah, I'm not. I mean, I think you know me, Rich. I'm not a big, heavy-handed, yelling kind of person, and I think probably me scolding them is equivalent to getting bitten to death by a butterfly or something. <laughs> And all I have to do is come stomping downstairs and sigh and they will quit doing whatever they, they're doing and they will be dead silent for the rest of the day. That's funny. But well, the that's, dogs. That, that's great, though, that your husband built you the booth. I, I know that when I built mine, made a huge difference. So even though some things still get through, much less than before. So always, yes. always a big help. So if I remember correctly, you teach a class at Voice One in San Francisco. I do. Thank you for asking. I do. And I really enjoy that. That's awesome. You know, I remember that. The, Elaine is still running that, right? No, Elaine sold it to Sally Clausen. 
Oh, I did not realize that. I don't know how long ago that happened. I remember when I was first starting out, I went to an intro with Elaine Clark for Voice One and an intro for The Voice Factory with Taylor Corabo. And I liked them both, but it was one of those things where it's like, well, I can only really afford to do one of these programs. And so I went the other way, but I got Elaine's book, uh, Money Where Your Mouth Is, I think is the name of it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, um, and I heard a lot of good things from people who went there who were also with the agency that I was with. Uh, I didn't realize that she was no longer uh, in charge there. So what is the class that you teach? I teach, uh, this is kind of like you said, in the very, very early stages of our, our um, time together here tonight. I, I really like to help new narrators launch. So with Voice One, I teach um, intro to voice uh, to long-term narration. So th- these are the people that are taking a certain career track with Voice One, and they're checking out every aspect of voiceover from uh, figure out what uh, they want to do. Exactly, and so that intro to audiobook narration is to kind of dip their toe in the pool for a day and find out do I have the stamina? And I kind of let them in on all the challenges that a stay-at-home narrator faces and how hard it is and how long it takes. Because above all, I don't want someone to quit their job and decide they want to be a narrator and then realize (laughs) this sucks. Holy crap. Yeah. No, I I completely understand. And I see those posts from, you know, somebody who just finished their first book and said, oh my God, I didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) I know. It's like, okay, I'm going to draw a parallel here. I, when I'm not narrating, I like to run long distances. I've done a marathon every year. I do one or two half marathons. I really like the, the stamina. I like the long commitment of running far. Mm-hmm. And that's an audiobook narration right there for you. And so if you sign up for a marathon, you <laughs> It's it's good to to uh, train for it, you know, and then you figure out if you really do want to do another one or not. Um, yeah, not not a good idea to go into a marathon thinking that you're going to be done in four miles. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I mean, I that's kind of misleading. I don't spend the whole day telling them how hard it is. We we do a lot of coaching. They bring selections, and I coach them, and we talk about you know how to connect with the text and how to live in the text and things like that so that they get a grasp of what it really is like to be a storyteller. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I teach, so that's the spring. And in the fall, I teach a, a class called Getting Booked in Audiobooks. And basically what that one is, is the finer points of audiobook performance. And then we go into furthering the career um, by joining the APA and joining Facebook groups and things like that. So mm-hmm. by no means am I a big wig, uh, performance coach. My specialty is more like helping these newbies discern if this is really something they want to do. And then if they make that decision, how is the best way to launch? Sounds great. Uh, it sounds like something that from a lot of the posts that I see online, a lot of people could use. I realize that, uh, well, I'm not sure what voice one is doing right now. Are they doing any online courses because of the whole um, stay at home thing or yes, are they yeah, moved all online? Although we're already planning. I was talking to Danny today, the, uh, the guy that helps coordinate all the classes, hopefully, you know, November ish, whatever, we'll be mm. able to, to be back in person. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, being in Arizona, if anybody follows the news, um, 
Arizona is all over the news, the national news, because of how badly we're doing in terms of, well, you know, Governor Ducey says, let's open up the state. So we start opening stuff up slowly. And within a week, all of a sudden the cases spike. And yes. part of that, part of that can be, um, put on the fact that testing was terrible. Arizona was 51st in the nation, I believe, behind Washington, D.C., or maybe Puerto Rico uh, in terms of testing. And now we are not so far behind. And so some people say, well, you know, the spike in cases is because of the fact that you're testing more now. <laughs> That's true. But the spike in cases is more than the increased testing that has been done. So I'm waiting for more bad news to hit. Uh, so I'm I'm... Uh, I am one of those people who is still skeptical about whether or not it's going to be safe to do really anything for quite some time. Uh, mm -hmm. ho hopefully it will be. I, I can say that from my time in in-person workshops at the Voice Factory, um, I got a lot out of it. I, I loved it. I loved the experience. I loved being around the other people who were doing the same thing. Um, and things online are just not the same. It's a, it's a good alternative when you can't be in person, but mm -hmm. it's just not quite the same as being, it's, it's a camaraderie thing. All the people yes. who were in my workshops, it, it felt like we're all here for the same purpose and we want to get better and we want to do good. And, and so, um, I, I hope that, that things like that do open up again, but I'm glad to hear that they are doing something online in the absence of being able to do something together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, so what about outside of Voice One? Do you do any one-on-one -on -one coaching along the same lines? Anything different? I do. I do. I do one-on-one -on -one sessions with newer narrators, people, again, checking out the industry, trying to decide if this is really for them. Um, and I do it via Zoom. And we usually have one-hour sessions, uh, which tend to go towards two hours, but I only charge for one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, when I coach someone, I like to learn as much about them ahead of time as I can. So a coaching session that starts out basically on just performance usually includes an evaluation of their website and talking about marketing efforts and scheduling and time management and things like that. So we kind of cover all the bases, but it's something that I never... I never sought any of this out. I never sought voice one out. I never wanted one-on-one -on -one lessons or coaching or anything like that. It kind of fell into my lap, but gosh, I really enjoy it. It's so much fun. That's great. And I love the aspect of, like you mentioned before, giving back. Um, the, the community is great. I've said that, you know, a bazillion times here. Um, and so it feels good to help people out who are thinking they might want to do this to give them both the great parts about it. And also, look, here's a warning. If you think this is going to be fast, easy money, uh, you're mistaken. Absolutely. And there's one qualifying factor that I always capitalize on that, that makes me, that, you know, you, like we spoke earlier about the imposter syndrome, I, I constantly say, why, why do I think I'm qualified to coach someone? I'm, I'm nobody. What is, why are they coming to me? Okay. Here's the deal. I have made all the mistakes <laughs> and I can share with you. <laughs> yeah. Mark Scott does the same thing. I don't know if you follow Mark, but. Um, oh, I met Mark. Yeah. I yeah. I, I met him at that same WovoCon and I have followed him ever, ever since. Um, and he will, he'll be the first to tell you the reason that I can give you this advice with some degree of certainty that I'm correct is that I made all these mistakes. Mm -hmm. I, I know what I did wrong and, and it's, <laughs> yes. and it's, and it's why it, I was held back by these mistakes that I made. 
don't make these mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, don't go onto Facebook in an audiobook group and say, hey, send me your list of contacts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, the, not the best approach. <laughs> no, 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 no. So anyway, I've, I, I did not make that specific mistake, but I can tell people not to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely understand. That's great. Uh, you also mentioned the APA, and of course, we're both members of the Audio Publishers Association. Um, for a while, I know that you were volunteering there. Are you still volunteering with the APA? I am. I am. What, what do you I do, do for them? They have a, you know, if if whoever's listening to this podcast to the audiobook speakeasy. Thank you for being here. And I have to say, if you're serious about furthering your narration career, there is no better free, I shouldn't say free, because you have to join with a monetary donation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that gives you access to the archives of webcasts. And that is solid oh, yes. gold. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So backing up a little bit, what I do for the APA is I do their monthly news roundup, which means I sift through all the news stories that involve audiobooks for the month. And I pick out the ones with help. I pass it by Michelle Cobb for her approval. And I work with um, whoever is on the communication committee at the time from the publishers. But we sift through and try to find the, the news articles that hold value for members, publishers and members, um, things like changes in the marketplace and, you know, who's doing what in what country and are royalties being made off of library rentals, things like that. So anyway, that's the news, APA News Roundup. I do that and I love it. Um, this, the other thing I do for them is I'm an ambassador. So I welcome new members. There are several of us. This is orchestrated by... Um, Romy Nordlinger and Bob Sauer, and oh, Bob, uh, the the uh, what what's his tagline? The the second uh, nicest guy second in voiceover. Second nicest over. guy in voiceover. Yeah, Bob yeah. is great. I love Bob. Oh, isn't he awesome? And so is Romy. I just I love the two of them. So what we do is, when a new member signs up with the APA, their name goes on a spreadsheet, and there are several of us ambassadors, and we we handle all the new members. And so I'll get assigned a couple of new members. I'll call them on the phone. If I can talk to them on the phone, that's great. If I can't, I'll send them an email, just telling them the highlights of the APA, you know, the, the sales data, the webcasts, APAC, mixers, and all the things that I think are valuable about the APA. And I invite them to call me back and chat about it. And, um, and that's and that's about it. And if 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 I were in person at APAC, if APAC were happening, we have a coffee one morning while other people are doing. I think it's director diagnostics, and so we we welcome them to the APA. We give a little spiel about all the good stuff that the APA does, and we wear these funny little. I think I had antennas or a hat or something antennas last year, <laughs> um, so they can see us in a crowd. And then at lunch, ah, we use tables great. and stuff. Yeah, which is actually the year that I sat with you and we talked about Widow Jane. I think I was wearing my little antennas. Um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember that specifically, but I do remember. But, I no, but, <laughs> but I do remember that you were sitting specifically with um, new members of mm -hmm. the UK. And so as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, 
is it okay if I sit here? And you said it was. Um, oh, yeah. So, th so that's great. I'm, I'm glad that I did. Um, and as I recall, I, I did get to speak with some of the new narrators as well, which is, which is always nice. Um, so I think that's great. Um, and it sounds like you are a big fan of the APA. I am, you know, I, I am too. I, I, I was raised Lutheran. This is going to sound so weird being Midwestern and being raised Lutheran. That's kind of a culture that's ingrained with you. You know, you help out. If you have something, uh, somebody puts on an event, you had fun, you help out, you offer to clean up, you offer to put the chairs away, you offer to lock up at the end of the night. So it's kind of a philosophy I was raised with that has carried over to me and my kids is that, you know, if somebody's doing something for the community and you're having a good time or you think it's worthwhile or you, you believe in the organization, you do what you can to give back and That's help cool. out. That's cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm different reasons, but I'm a big fan of the APA as well. And I would uh, echo your sentiments. If you are serious about doing this, um, if you've looked into it enough to where you think, I really do want to spend time doing this because there are people who uh, they do one audiobook and they say, oh my God, never again. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't blame those people. It's no, me neither. It's, no, it's grueling. <laughs> it is. And, it, and, and it's great to find that out that, nope, don't want to do this. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, and I, I love Sean Pratt's uh, five or six minute video as well is his audiobook test. So you think you want to be an audiobook narrator, do this and see how you feel about it. And mm -hmm. I think that things like that can weed people out. And I'm, I don't think that it's good that people get weeded out because there's less competition. I think it's good that people get weeded out because they're not going to like doing this. And, that is so true. And if you're not going to like it, then you shouldn't spend the time on it. No, so. no, no. You have to be passionate about it. You have to really enjoy it. And and if you do, if you really enjoy it, if you're driven to pursue this career, it will do good things for you. Yeah. And so I, I completely echo your sentiments. I think the APA is uh, is what you, if you're serious about it, you really need to join. At first, it might seem like, well, what am I spending my membership money on here exactly? But mm -hmm. if you actually dive in and like you say, go go into the archives and, you know, listen to the, the webcasts that they have and, and read whatever they have, and then actually go to APAC and meet people. Um, yeah, it's it's huge. They should, I mean, new narrators, new people new in this industry should be glued to those webcasts. PJ and Suzanne have done such a masterful job at covering all aspects of whoever they're interviewing. That's a gold mine. I mean, you've paid a pittance to join the APA and now you have access to all this free training. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. And, and free information, uh, the last one that they had, or the second to last one, I don't remember now, um, there were producers on from, I watched from that, yes. yeah, from, from various different publishers. And it's like hearing what these people have to say, these are the people that you want to get to know. Hearing what they have to say is gold. It's you, so important. And you know what, at different points in your career, you're going to hear different things. So go back and revisit them. I mean, I'm 12 years into this, um, three audiophile earphones awards. And I learned so much from that specific webcast that you're talking about. Um, I felt like a newbie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I could totally understand that. It's like, well, I've been doing this for a while and really, so <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. Well, so you are busy with narration and working with the APA and coaching and working at voice one. What do you do when you're not doing all this stuff? 
Ooh, good question. Um, like I mentioned, I like to run and that has been really important during this quarantine thing because I've got my, my husband, of course, can't go to work. My college age son is home with us again. And, you know, I, I love my family like crazy, but long distance running just puts my mind somewhere else where I can kind of regenerate for an hour and then come back to the house and I'm good to go. Um, so that I like to run. I like to fish. I love fishing. Um, that goes back to my history as a teenager in Nebraska. I worked for the Game and Parks Commission oh. at, in the fisheries division. I was a conservation technician. And what I did there was um, I worked at the state's only aquarium and I led school tour groups uh, around this aquarium. And I learned, I swear to God, everything you need to know about fish native to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> I gave tours. I, I also, I, I'm, I'm no shrinking violet. I gutted deer. I did deer checks during hunting season. Um, I get this from my mom. She's in her seventies and she still climbs a tree stand to go deer hunting. And they, oh my God. they do it for food. I mean, it's not a sport. They eat no, I, I understand. Yeah. My brother-in-law does the same thing. Yeah. He, so he hunts them. They've got, they got food for the winter. Absolutely. And it's probably healthier food than what they buy in the grocery store. So, yeah. so that's in my spare time, I like to fish and I can tell you everything about the fish that I catch and I can gut them and I can clean them. And <laughs> you know, I, I'm a real tomboy at heart. Um, so that's so long distance running fishing. I've got two big dogs. You've probably seen them on Facebook. Oh yes. Enormous dogs. Enormous Gigantic dogs. dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up on horseback and I'm, I'm not in a place in my life right now where I can get back into horses. So I've got two French Mastiffs. I've got Herbie and Binda. So you decided and, to go with dogs that were almost as big as horses. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's, it's like, keep, it's more like keeping livestock than house pets. They're, <laughs> they're giant drooling, shedding furniture, rearranging livestock. That's too funny. And they, they're, they really are funny. So when I'm not walking them or scrubbing slobber off the walls or whatever, <laughs> um, I also mentioned we live in wine country and one of ah, our yes. pastimes is, or was, riding our bikes out to the local wineries and sitting out behind their tasting buildings and sharing a bottle of wine and watching wildlife. And it's, it's such a neat place we live. Wow. That sounds lovely to me as a cyclist. I have never thought about, I mean, here in Arizona, I'd have to ride, I think a hundred miles to get to a winery. Um, <laughs> and we have them, but I, it's just not practical. Um, that sounds wonderful. Cause I know the area that you live in, and I know that there are a lot of good roads to ride on and being oh, yeah. able to ride to a winery, do the tasting thing, relax, assuming the weather's great for it, which in the Bay Area, it often is. Um, that sounds great. I, that, yeah, I, I, um, I like hearing that. And oh, I, I, get, awesome. I get the running thing too. I, I was a cross country runner in high school and um, now I'm a cyclist because at some point my feet just, uh, they just started hurting more and more. And so I find that cycling doesn't do that as much, but I get the long distance aspect. I like going on long rides. I like just being out alone and, mm -hmm. and it gives you time to listen to podcasts or audiobooks or just contemplate. Um, so I, I totally get that. I, I don't know about you, but when I was a runner, what I used to love was running in the fog. 
because yeah. I could run, even though I was breathing water, which is difficult, <laughs> I could I could run along on a road, not have to see the cars on a, in a thick fog, and feel like I was just in this other world, you know, just all completely by myself. I, I used to really like that. So I, I get the long distance running thing, even though I don't do it. Um, but I, I, I do the cycling thing for kind of the same reasons. So I, I get that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I think the person that discovers what hits their reset button is very fortunate. And I have discovered, I actually knew this all along, what hits my reset button is being out in nature. I'm not an ocean person, which is weird because I'm in California. Um, but if I'm around growing things, it's mm. like, you know, and they taught in Sedona, I've been to Sedona a few times. They talk about the vortexes where mm -hmm. it's supposed to be a supernatural experience and you feel euphoric and whatever you feel. Um, I swear to God, my vortexes are out here and they, and they were back when I was growing up. I can recognize in hindsight, hindsight. Oh shoot. It's the Amarula. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I would ride my horse, all day long through cornfields and alfalfa fields and cow ponds. And it's just being around living organisms that, and, and not having to talk to anybody or analyze anything or worry about if you're saying the wrong thing or not mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be, that kind of thing just resets, resets you and it recharges those batteries. So when yeah. I go and run here, and this is the fun part, because you know where I live, I mean, I live right three miles from the first winery on the wine trail. I run through the these vineyards. And I oh, see, how nice. Oh, yeah, and I see the deer and the quail and the turkeys and the coyotes, and it's just uh, magical for me. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I get the horse thing, too. I actually used to volunteer at uh, Las Trampas Stables. Uh, I don't know if they're still around, but um, they were on the... Um, can't remember exactly where they were now, but it was, it was when I was living in San Leandro. So um, it wasn't too far from there, but, uh, you know, muck out the stalls and then be able to um, help lead the trail rides that, that yeah. people would come in for. And I loved being out there. So uh, I, I get that. That's, uh, that's very cool. Well, okay. so without going too far into the courses that Voice One charges for and your coaching time, um, what, what, what do you think is the most important advice that you would give to aspiring narrators out there? Oddly enough, I've repeated this enough times. I have a good answer for you prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing is if you are really serious about this career, be voracious, Google everything, listen to podcasts, subscribe to Audiophile magazine, read blogs, visit the websites of prolific popular narrators, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, learn from them, use the APA resources, lurk on social media. You know, is there is so much out there without you having to hire someone. I mean, there's so much you can do on your own without ever putting a penny in someone else's pocket. Um, don't skimp on two things. This is really important. Do not skimp on two things. My dog is snoring in the background. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. Now that you've said it's your dog, having seen your dog, I get it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry about that. No, no problem. <laughs> right to sleep. Um, so don't skimp on two things. Equipment 
and training. Do not record audiobooks on a USB mic. You know, put do not quit your day job. That's what that boils down to is do not quit your day job. Whatever you're doing, if you're a cable car operator or an accountant or or a real estate agent, do not quit your day job and expect to be successful in audiobooks because you need good equipment and you need good training. So if you quit that day job, you're going to be tempted to skimp on the equipment, skimp on the training, do projects for half the going rate that's appropriate. There is so much that's going to happen badly for you if you do not have the money to pay for it. So don't quit your day job and don't skimp on training or equipment. Um, And the third thing I would say, which I don't see posted very often, uh, maybe because I quit following a certain group on Facebook, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I do too. Occasionally. I know you did. You were inspiration rich. You know it. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that, but I, yeah. Um, yeah. This is very important. Make a business plan. It doesn't have to be a, a huge professional looking multi-page thing, but if you think you want to excel in audiobooks, you ought to have an end point in mind. Do you want to be a multi-Audi award-winning narrator? Do you want to rub shoulders with Eduardo Ballerini, Will Wheaton, Scott Brick, Simon Vance? If you do, set that as your goal and then make small steps on how to get there. It's a roadmap. You can't expect to get there if you don't have a roadmap. Um, And I can tell you this from harsh experience way back in my early days. And when I was serving on the WOVO executive board and volunteering at Learning Ally, I let my giving back take precedence. And so what happened was a dear friend of mine, Elizabeth Holmes, recommended this book called, um, oh shoot, what was it called? The One Page Business Plan for the Creative Entrepreneur. By oh, wow. Yeah, by Jim Horan. It's a one-page thing. But this book walks you through step-by-step, identifying your goals, how to get there. It talks about marketing materials and things like that. Um, so that when so- I was- That sounds great, I got to say, um, just for myself. I mean, I, I, I set goals, but I'm a little lax about being as specific as I should be. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. That sounds like a, like a great idea. Please do, because you can't get to where, first you have to know where you want to go. So Mm -hmm. set that, you have to identify where you want to go. You have to have that vision. Then get that book or hire someone. I think Tom Deere is a good business consultant. Emily Mm -hmm. Lawrence is a good business consultant. Hire these people to help you chart a path to get to where you want to go. And so this is the sad truth. I was volunteering so much and my career and my neighbor just started mowing his lawn. Um, <laughs> That's all right. That. So Everybody career, listening understands that one. <laughs> my career was circling the drain. And when my friend Elizabeth suggested this book to me, we worked through it. I made a business plan. I was able to identify those areas in my day that were sucking all of my time. And they were worthy things, but I'm not the only person in the world. Somebody else could, you know, step into my shoes. No problem. I did that and I tripled my income in one year. Mm, 
Yeah, that's great. That that's like the proof is in the pudding kind of thing where you do something and you see a result and you're like, now I know that was exactly what I should have done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and people, this is the thing that frustrates me is that I know so many good narrators just starting out and they're like, why am, why am I not, how come I'm not good? Why am I not popular? Why am I not professional and constantly employed? And I'll say, well, what is your business plan? What, what, what are your steps? How, what's your roadmap look like? And they're like, what? I don't know. I just want to be popular and good and whatever. You can't do that. You're yeah. floundering. You're treading water. You have to have a solid goal to achieve in order to stair step your way to get to that goal. So let me just um, say that that name again of that book. It's called The One Page Business Plan for the Creative Entrepreneur by Jim Horan. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, yeah. And whenever I listen to Mark Scott, I think, you know, I should be more specific about my goals. And, um, and so hearing something like that makes me think that's something that I will take a look at so that uh, I can actually um, put something together that is pretty much what I'm already doing, but that is more specific, which makes it much more likely that it will come to pass. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what you just said. It gives you measurable steps to take. And, yep. you know, who doesn't need a roadmap? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, Anne, this has been fantastic. It it has been a joy to talk to you. Um, I I loved hearing about um, you know taking a bike ride to a winery. That just that appeals to me so much. It makes me think, boy, if I was in the Bay Area, I would try to set up a time with you. You know, when we could be six feet apart when we're riding, but where I could come up to where you are and I could do that for a ride, I could hang out, have lunch at a winery. Um, so <laughs> that, that was great to hear, uh, as was everything else. So thank you for coming in. Where can people find you if they want to look you up, find out about the voice one stuff, coaching, um, whatever it is. Well, if you, if you're interested in voice one classes, go to voiceone.com in San Francisco. If you're interested in booking a private session, visit anrichardson.com and you can contact me there. That's also my email Ann at anrichardson.com. Um, shoot, uh, I'm on, I'm in audiophile magazine. I'm a member of the APA. You can find my email there. Um, I'm easy to find. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, although Instagram is full of my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that as if it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're so much fun. Herbie especially is, he's got so much personality, but <laughs> Anyway, Rich, I want to tell you, if you do come back this direction to visit your sister or whatever, please set aside a day for me and I will treat you to wine country and the bike ride and, you know, we'll have a great time. So please consider yourself invited. Thank you very much. I will definitely do that if I ever travel again and for the rest of my life. Um, I, I certainly hope that things are going to ease up and get better in that regard. I'm just um, the type that knowing what the symptoms are like, having friends who are here in Tucson in healthcare who work at local hospitals, knowing what the situation is here, um, I don't plan on going anywhere for a long time. Um, I get it. So, so I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point I will be back out in the Bay area. I was, I was out there a lot when my mom was sick, uh, five years ago. Um, 
And I haven't really made the effort to get out there too much because my dad is out here. And so my sister comes to visit us, but I would love to go back there. And what I would actually love to do is a week of, you know, vacation in the wine country. And, and I would definitely consider Livermore part of that. So uh, I will definitely let you know. I hope so. Please do, Rich. You'll be my guest. All right. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for coming into the speakeasy. This was great. I hope that the, uh, the Amarula was good and that uh, stealing all those, all those ripe fruits from the elephants was worth it. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll look, I'll look for that next time I'm, I'm making a purchase. In the meantime, my uh, Toronto cocktail is almost gone. And I got to say, I think it's a, it's a great alternative to a Manhattan or a, uh, or an old fashioned. And since you have whiskey on hand, or I assume you do since your husband oh, yeah. is a fan, um, I, w- I would recommend making an old fashioned at some point. Uh, it's a classic cocktail. Everybody needs to have tasted that at least once. I'm writing it down. (laughs) All right, Anne. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Rich. Have a great evening. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Anne Richardson for coming in. I enjoyed hearing about the classes she teaches at Voice One and the mentoring and coaching she does with new narrators, and I hope you did as well. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! (laughs) 